she was standing at the front door. I come home last night, good book in the left hand, rolling pin on the right. Said she come home for the last time. I've, you know, we've talked about moving too, and it's, it's like. There's nowhere for me. I mean, I really like doing these these gigs of yours that we're talking about. It's a little bit of a shift for me. Um, that kind of we'll call it corporate, yeah, corporate world, yeah. Um, because so much. I mean, I toured forever, but you know, in the last maybe five years, there was a significant shift to studio work. Okay. Which is a job that only exists in a couple of towns in the country. Um, and they're not really towns that I'm interested in moving to. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I mean, I think that New York has everything. Sure. You, you could do any, anything there. And then Nashville has a, a studio industry as well. Yeah. Um, it's. Have you ever lived in Nashville? No. Really? No, no. I've so- been, I mean, just just to set it up a little bit, sure. I I met you just this year, right. and uh, started doing gigs, mostly mine my gigs at like corporate functions, right. parties, things like that. But um, I really don't know much else about you before then. I know right. I know that you played and continue to record with Dwight Yoakam, right? And you mentioned that you toured on your own material for a while. Right, yeah. But I mean, I'm a little surprised to learn that you've never lived in Nashville. I thought that you would have. Man, I've I moved to LA when I was 18. Okay. And I'm from where? And I'm 40 now, so I've been here 22 now, 23 years, and um, I mean I'm an LA guy, you know, in in a lot of ways. Yeah. And um, you know I'm I've been on the West Coast my whole life. I was born in Seattle. I went to high school in San Jose. And then when I was 18, I moved here and I, you know, I've, I've been here, I've been here ever since. And, and it's kind of funny because I speak LA now, you know, and I speak Hollywood now, uh, you know, not, you know, it's different in Nashville. Yeah. In New York, I, I, I don't know very much about New York. I don't know many people from New York. I've never lived there. I've only toured through there and I, I like it a lot, but I've spent a lot of time in Nashville and so I have a limited understanding of how it goes down there, and it's a different language. Yeah. Um, and I'm not really interested in learning a new language. You know, the best way I can kind of put it is, you've heard of the Hollywood no, which is uh, you call someone and go, hey, would you be interested in blah, 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 and then you never hear anything back. Oh, I thought you, I thought you were going to say that they'd say, "Oh, for sure, yeah, 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 totally." That's Nat. No, no, that's Nashville. <laughs> Na- Nashville is is oh yeah, totally. Like, let's do it. Let's ride together, man. Interesting. And then, it, but but in their mind, it's like they have no interest in doing that. That that's been some of my experience with Nashville is a little more of a of a southern, you know, the bless your heart kind of thing, and it's and it's. I'm not trying to denigrate it as much as just draw this distinction that it's like a, it's a different way of doing business and it's a little more kind of, I have found Hollywood to be 
kind of cold, like in some ways where, you know, I, I've had people kind of ghost me and like I've ghosted other people. I mean, it's like, it's, it's this, it's this kind of different language that I've kind of gotten used to over 23 years and I'm more comfortable with it now. And to go to a place that's like totally different doesn't, doesn't interest me. So, I mean, I, I, I relate to all that. I've been in LA for 15 years. And what you're describing about how, like, you know, kind of getting ghosted and ghosting and um, saying yes. To, to me, that all happened when I first moved out here. I was saying yes to everything. And I was getting Craigslist gigs and weird, you know, just like stuff that was not even close to what I wanted to be doing. But I was at the time, I was just thinking, I got to, like, meet people. I got to take whatever work I can get. But now, I mean, you know, this many years later, I have, like you're saying, I, I feel like I... I feel like I speak the language. I feel like I know what to expect. I feel like I know how to set up or, or the questions and the, and the things to the details to get sorted out before I even say yes to something or before I even ask somebody to do something, right. you know, cause I, I try and, uh, like with my gigs, I I've learned from experience every time there's an unanswered question on the day of the gig to me, that's like, make a note, make, sort that out well beforehand, certainly with money. Yeah, that's the, probably the top thing. But then, oh, you know, is there going to be a house PA system or not? Is there? Are we going to be indoors or outdoors? I mean, some of this stuff sounds really obvious, but I'll get, I'll wake up on the day of and go, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I have the address for this place. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which which hasn't happened recently, but that did happen years ago with with the my my old band, the Get Down Boys. We booked a gig and it was all it was on the calendar. It was all good. And we that day like, of where is the gig? nobody had ever we looked through the emails. Nobody had ever got an address. We couldn't get them on the phone. We drove to the town they were in. We're like we're gonna cruise around the neighborhood, look for a house party. Didn't find it. It's like lesson learned. Always get an address. You know. I mean that's all tour management. I mean that's yeah. a, that's a huge part of of your of what your job is 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 effectively tour management. And the best tour managers know what you're gonna ask before you ask it. You know, I mean, that's that's kind of, I mean, in the my limited exposure to uh, gigs that even have tour managers, it's like the best ones know all those answers before you ask. You have a you have a day sheet, or you or it's all in master tour or something like that, where yeah. you know, because they, they're they're trying to head off at the pass. Some some drummer asking them, is there food? Is there what time is this? Where am I going? Blah blah blah, and so. You know, I mean, that's, I mean, and, and to be, you know, I mean, I think you do a good job of that. I, cause I can tell, you know, cause you do enough gigs where it's like, you don't know what the fuck is going on. Like yeah. <laughs> day, day of show. And it's not, it's not like really your fault. It's cause they haven't told you anything. Yeah. You also didn't ask. Right. right. So it's like there, there's a, and it's, it's pretty noticeable for like your gig to get an email that just has all the shit that you would ask, you know, in terms of the dress code and the times and the address and the set list and all these kind of things where a lot of times it just gets skipped and it's, it's part and parcel of the call it the kind of artist mentality that that side of the brain, it's not good at that kind of stuff. And, yeah. and people who are closer to being a type a detail oriented person, a logistics person, it's like there, there aren't as many of them, in music, you know, that, that skill set 
can be more lucrative in a, in a dozen other fields. Yeah. <laughs> and so it does. And so you, you can take it and apply it elsewhere. So it's, it's definitely, um, you know, I don't know. You, you said, you mentioned money and I think that it's, it's kind of funny how many gigs I get where it just isn't even mentioned. Yeah. And, and, it, and everything else that is like, let's say, let's talk about like a recording session, right? So I got a call about a recording session I find out where it is, when it is, who else will be there, how many songs we're doing, and in a lot of cases, the backstory about what these songs are about, <laughs> or who who the co-writer is on these songs, like yeah. all this information. And then at the end of the phone call or the email or the text, it's like, aren't you forgetting something? Mm-hmm. And of course, there's, you know, I never am that much of a dick about it, but in my mind, I'm like what other job is this way? Like that's the yeah. thought that I have over and over again is like, what, what other occupation is there where this yeah. is the back and forth? I need you to come over and fix the plumbing and, uh, old house, and paint the house, and- o- old house, hundred year old house. It yeah. was, you know, it's my grandfather's yeah, house. Here's the, yeah. Right. He built it. He, he came he, out he here from Kansas. And, yeah. And, uh, this has been happening. <laughs> and then at the, yeah, at the end of the job, you're just kind of like, Oh, were you going to ask about payment or was I supposed to, or maybe we could forego that? payment. Maybe there's there's no payment. Maybe they- maybe I'm maybe I'm gonna get lucky. The payment is not a thing. I'm gonna tell all my friends about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or like you're independently wealthy or or something. So it it really is like yeah. that that can be that can be kind of uh, that can definitely be kind of maddening. Um, and yeah. it's and it's it's really unique to this industry. I I feel unique to the arts. Let's say yes. Okay. Yeah. No, I agree. And 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 as a Somebody, I'm kind of like on both sides of that now because I'm, I've always been gigging and, and a little recording, but like I've always been on that side of things where I'm like getting calls to do things. And then now, the last few years, especially being on the administrative side where I'm hiring people, I, I try to, as best I can, make it easy on the player because that is and yeah. used to be me. So I, I'm very upfront about here's what it's going to pay. And then on the tail end, I pay guys. On the way home from the gig? The night up. <laughs> yeah, the night up. Because again, let's say yeah. let's say they do volunteer the information. It's 500 bucks and, and great. Okay, you sign up. And then the, the gig comes and goes and you're sitting around going, it, do I need to yeah. invoice somebody? Is this payment? Am I waiting on a check to be cashed? What's the deal? So I, I really um, have worked it out to where the player needs not worry and ask questions about any of that stuff. Yeah. Well, trust me. It's no, I notice it. A huge part of my job, because, you know, we're contractors, right? Yeah. And so a huge part of my job is extracting payment for shit that has already happened. <laughs> and yeah. it's, it's kind of like, you know, I, I was talking to my dad one time. I'm like, the, it's, like the, it's like the cliche about how the – the music is not the job. The job is oh, the, tra- yeah. the job is the travel, right? That's the old cliche. For me, I, there's less travel, but it's a lot of bouncing a schedule, uh, which takes a lot of time, and then dealing with payment, I- invoicing, and dealing with something that happened a week ago or a month ago or whatever, and going what, what's going on. Because certain things, if you're dealing with a, a one man company or an independent client, you know that's one thing. A lot. Of, if you're dealing with a corporation, if you're dealing with a label. If you're dealing with a larger kind of staffing company, it's like you, it can take some time and it can be a lot more complicated. 
But yeah, yeah I definitely, you know, you said a second ago, it's like you've been on the other side. So that's how come you're good at it. And, and, and it's like, I'm the same exact way. And it just goes to show you a lot of the people who, who are doing the hiring, especially if they're just artists, they've never been on that side. Like they've never been in someone else's band. They've only ever had their own band. And so they don't really understand what it's like to be a bass player for like a job. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, there's, it's not like they're bad people. They just don't understand that that's, that this is like a real thing. And it's like when their session is over, you're like going to another one and yeah. it doesn't have anything to do with it. And you're going to like forget all about their songs and all their stuff. Yeah. And, and, like, and all that information, all that extra info about here's what this song means. And here's, you know, yeah, and, and, I, and I have this vision for where I want to go with it. And I want to perform this at this. Uh, that's all cool. And I know what, I know what that's like to have your thing. Totally. But if you're a session guy or you're, if you're coming in for one gig, that's not really relevant to your job as a, you know. Yeah. I, the best people, the people who are the, so like Jim Keltner has said that like he asks for a lyric sheet, mm. right? Drummer. Yes. Jim Keltner is, a, is a, like a legendary session drummer here in LA and like he asks for a lyric sheet. That's cool. When he's, when he's on a, you know, on a session and, you know, and plays to that. Um, which is like a super special gift and it's kind of why he is who he is. And so I, I think that that stuff, uh, yeah, it's like once I'm on the session and that's, this is part of why it's good to talk about money is so when I get to the session, I can not think about it. True. Okay. Yeah. And I can think about the lyrics to this song and the backstory and the artist vision yeah. and where they want to go, because that's how I can do the best possible job on that session and make them happy. Because you know, this, this, I sound like a mercenary talking about money this way. Um, and there is, you know, there is some of that in there, but I also want to be the best. Yeah. I want to be like Jim Kellner, you know? And so it's kind of like, that's one way that you do it is that you can completely, it's like, I don't have to worry about if I, you know, what am I going to eat? What am I going to get paid? When am I going to be done? Like, I don't want to think about any of that stuff. I want to completely zero in on, what you're hired to do. What, yeah, exactly. What is right in front of me at that, at yeah. that moment. Yeah, that's really good. You know, I, um, I met Keltner a couple times. I, I used to work at the village recording the studio in West LA and he was in there roaming around on sessions and stuff. But one of the, one of the things I picked up there was working on T-Bone Burnett sessions. He did a, you know, in the five years that I was there, he did a record with Elton John, a record with Greg Allman, Jacob Dylan, uh, a, a million, wow. a million records, and and uh, I got to kind of see how he works because I think his records are great. I think he's one of the best producers. And I w what I noticed was that he does that. He takes complete care of all the D or you know he has somebody else do it, but meals are planned and and all that's taken care of and that's generally a, and you get into a nice studio atmosphere that kind of stuff is happening but he he would not really direct much he would he would let these players yeah. do their thing because yeah. why else would you hire that's that's it so and so if you're going to hire them and then tell them what to play so i, I just was struck by that i've i've heard him say that um, when I think it's, I was going to bring it up and then you brought it up, but it's, it's, it's definitely like, 
they ask him why do you you know how do you get these such great performances out of Ben Montench and Jim Keltner and it's like I don't I just hire Ben Montench and Jim Keltner <laughs> yeah. and let them do let them do their job yeah you know and he does and it's the same with whoever is engineering that session it's like he's not he's giving a very broad directive and then T-Bone is also is um you know, there are all different types of producers. He's a producer who plays. Mm-hmm. He's in the band. And so he's picking some material probably and leading an arrangement and like playing in the band. Some producers are engineering. Some producers are co-writers. You know, they all, they're all different types. Yeah. But, he, you know. Anyway, that whole world and that job is, is um, really what I'm interested in and what I've been trying to kind of build. And, and it's... Uh, it's definitely not something I would want to go, go try to start again somewhere else. Cause it definitely took a lot of time here. Yes. You mentioned it in the, in the beginning where, you know, LA is a lot bigger than Nashville and it's bigger than Austin. And so if you just move here and start getting shit off of Craigslist or just any kind of anything you can do to make a hundred dollars and meet some people, it can take a long time to find your place. And it can yeah. take a long time to find the right gigs and, and understand what's going on. And, you know, I don't I don't really want to go start that process over again. It, it might be a little easy. I'm older and I have a resume. Yeah. But also it's like anytime you move from California to anywhere else, the people in that town kind of automatically are predisposed. Yeah. To, to, to a just... lot of them. It's very common. Especially I, now, though. I mean, that's even more now yeah, after COVID. People are getting priced out of California. Yeah. And and so, you know, I've been to the two the obvious ones are Nashville and Austin. But I picked up on this in Phoenix. I picked up on it in Bozeman, Montana. I picked up on a lot of places where Californians are moving in. And it's like people are not into it. And yeah. it's like, I don't, you know, I don't want that to really be me. You know, and it's also, it's a kind of a point of pride to survive in Los Angeles, in my opinion, Uh, at at least for me. And so it's just like, you know, our friend Stephen Musselman, who's a great musician, who does a lot of these gigs that we do together, is younger than us. And, you know, I've enjoyed having these conversations with him because for a long time, I was always the youngest person on a lot of stuff that I was doing. And now I'm not anymore. And it's really kind of cool to see this young guy who is on a similar path and is like, I don't think he has any intention of leaving L.A. I I think he has the same goal of like, you know, and have it be a point of pride to be like, yeah, I mean, I I started at Disney and I did, you know, these corporate gigs. And then you start working with some legitimate artists and blah, 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 blah. And it's like watching him on that journey is, you know, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool to see. Well, Roots in general. Yeah, roots music in general, general here in LA is a is a little bit of a smaller pond. Although it is a bigger town, there's just a lot of stuff going on here. And then, particularly like you mentioned, Muscleman and the and his um, kind of venture into mastering all these various stringed instruments. Mm-hmm. It's like there aren't really that many people here that do it. If he lived in Tennessee, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would be a different story. And I'm sure that he would still be fine. Because he practices his ass off and everything, but but I have, I've kind of, I mean it's, that's another kind of reason why I'm here is like, I'm I'm kind of in this, I've kind of zoned in on this roots world and 
I'm not really a very good bluegrass player, but I play a lot of country music and I play a lot of like rock and roll music. I, you know, there's a million different kinds of rock, but like the stuff I really like is like 50s rock mm. uh, from like Memphis and New Orleans and, play, and places like that. And so it's definitely like there aren't tons of people doing that doing that here it's not like uh the the pop world or the hip-hop world where there's there are just thousands and thousands of yeah artists and musicians and producers doing doing that thing yeah i feel like playing something sure what shall we play um do you want to do the uh ashes of love sure I really like B. I don't like B flat as much for playing. I really like it for singing. Yeah, G. Let's let's stay in G. that song was you sing it yeah, at, at the bluegrass at, the at muscleman's yeah. bluegrass jam it's like such a cool song it's a great song tell me about dwight yoakam how did you get set up with dwight oh, i love dwight yoakam <laughs> I, I really do dwight is my favorite and i got super duper duper lucky uh meeting him and getting to work for him and and the older i get and the more other artists <laughs> that i meet and other sidemen that i talk to i realize that i got 
incredibly lucky. So I I was working a lot in a bar called the Cinema Bar, which is in Culver City, which um, in the mid 2000s had an amazing roots rock scene. I mean, I played there a lot, like in the 2010s. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it still it still is great. Yeah. Uh, there were artists there around that time that were really influential on me. Uh, I, I talk about this all the time. Randy Weeks, Mike Stinson, Tony Gilkison, and they're just they were like these L.A. roots rock country musicians that I just thought were amazing. They're writers and players, and um, and I met them all when I was about twenty one, and talked my way into like at first as a sub and then as a band you know member and like trying to play with these guys and learn from them. Uh, and one of the guys who played bass for them was named Josh Grange, and he eventually started working for Dwight. And then when he wanted to go work for Katie Lang and the Dixie Chicks, he called me and asked if I wanted if I'd be interested. Uh, and I was maybe 28 or 29 at that time. And uh, I went and met Dwight in his office, and he kind of we talked about you know, various things, talked about the Beatles a lot. And then he goes, well, so you're a piano player and that's mostly what this is. And you can sing great. You can play guitar. Okay. And, uh, cause it, it was, on, it was on an auxiliary position. It wasn't bass. It was, it was, uh, guitar, keyboards, pedal, steel, accordion, vocals, mandolin was all fiddle. This. Not for me. Yeah. No, that is eventually became that job. Uh, but I kind of narrowly avoided having to deal with the fiddle cause I don't, I'm not a fiddle player. Um, I did have to learn pedal steel. Um, and then to a lesser extent, mandolin and accordion. Um, but you know, like I said, I, I would shedded pedal steel pretty hard and I got to be kind of okay at that. Um, but, he kind of wisely kind of minimized how much steel was a part of that set and the keyboards kind of took a larger role. And really what ended up happening, particularly when Eddie Perez left is I became uh, with Jonathan Clark, part of this harmony group. So there was a lot of three-part harmony with Dwight, Jonathan Clark and me. And that is kind of what that band was the years that I was there because I was a much better, I mean, still am a, probably a better singer than I am at any instrument. And so like that's at least, at least more valuable as, you well, know. yeah, but also, yeah, there, there aren't as many, you know, yeah. and, um, there just aren't as many high harmony singers and, um, you know, compared to how many guitar players there are right. or, or even keyboard players or bad, uh, pedal steel players. So it was definitely like, he kind of wisely just used that. And we, that was kind of what the group was when I was there. Um, and, uh, you know, I got to make a couple of records with him, which was an amazing experience. Um, and I still am kind of in that world. I just don't, I don't tour with him anymore. I do, uh, when he goes into record, I usually get a, be on those sessions and then he also has a show he has a, a serious xm oh yeah station that he programs bakersfield uh yeah and then he has dwight it's called dwight yokum in the bakersfield beat and so he programs you know 24 hours seven days a week of you know music for this channel and then he records shows with guests where he does like a two-hour interview with them 
and then they jam with the band. So he's had, I've you know played with Johnny Rivers and Maria McKee and some pretty cool people. And it's just like one song, but it's a broken down, it's like the drums is like a pizza box. Okay. And I usually play accordion. Um, and it's, you know, it's pretty fun to be involved in that stuff. And, um, you know, I just don't, they have someone else that does auxiliary out on the road. Okay. That's cool. It's very cool. And like I say, I've, I've, you know, the older I get and the more I learn about the rest of the world besides Dwight Yoakam, I realized that I was very, very lucky. I still am lucky, but was very lucky to like at 28 years old, get involved with that and learned a lot, learned a lot about touring and recording and writing, singing, you know, the other harmony singer, Jonathan Clark is one of, you know, probably the best harmony singer that I've ever like been in a room with. Is he singing baritone? He sings everything. I mean, he's a tenor. Okay. Um, he would usually, he would usually sing the lower part. Yeah. And I would sing the higher part. But he's, you know, extremely talented and capable. And I learned like, you know, my, my favorite harmony singer is probably like Amy Lou Harris or someone like that. But yeah. I've I've never been in, like in a room with her. You know. Jonathan Clark is the best guy that I've ever just like stood next to, and and so we did a lot of live harmony singing in the studio with the two of us like facing each other, mm-hmm. um, which again is just this kind of unique, incredible opportunity to learn from someone like that and have it be on a super expensive microphone under a mic, you know, under a microscope, so you can hear every single little inflection and every little vowel sound and really hone in on what that stuff is and how to be better at it. Yeah. And that continues to be the number one thing that I get called to do session-wise is that kind of harmony singing, particularly Roots styles. Yeah. You know, I mean, Dwight basically taught me mountain singing, but I was getting paid to learn it, and I was recording it on his sessions. So, like... The vocal sessions would take a long time and you'd have to do a lot of takes and Dwight would come on the talk back and sing you what he means. And I'd go, isn't that what I just sang? And he'd go, <laughs> no. And explain the difference. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, just the idea of getting paid to learn that is, uh, yeah. you know, like I say, very lucky. Yeah, that's amazing. Um. So that's my Dwight Yoakam story. I, I mean, I just I continue to just think he's the best, and uh, you know, basically anything that he kind of calls me up to do, I I go do it. Yeah, I mean, you know, not everybody gets a teacher with that kind of experience, you know. Oh yeah. Well, he he's, you know, he just recently this last summer was opening for Chris Stapleton on the Stapleton mm. summer tour, and at some point they're like, okay, so we're going to do a song together. So they're in a dressing room. And Dwight figures out that Chris Stapleton is from, like, the same county as him. Oh, wow. And Chris Stapleton is obviously, like, an amazing singer and is a great harmony singer and a a great mountain-style singer, right? And so Dwight hears him sing in harmony with him and goes, you know, holy shit. He's like, he goes, I didn't have to teach this guy anything, you know? And I was thinking about it, and I was just like, man, I I was so lucky like, I was just, like, so lucky that, you know, I mean, I don't sing like Chris Stapleton, but I'm a lot better at this shit than I used to be mm-hmm. because I 
had him kind of explaining, no, it's like you're singing the notes, you know. So what but, what is it? Is it, is it like vowel inflections? Yeah, it's and... a lot of little details having to do with inflection. Yeah. And so there's a lot of like, there's, there's like a, there's a way of hitting the beginning of notes. Uh-huh. Um, there's not a lot of vibrato. Right. I mean, I, I, I've never really uh, studied that specific part of it. I've, I've always done a lot of listening and just, you know, being in the bluegrass world, I've heard a lot of it and there's very little, like almost zero vibrato yeah. in bluegrass singing. Well, like we're doing Ashes of Love, you know, hatism love, yeah. cold as that. So like every time I hit those consonants at the beginning of those words, there's a like a little explosion of air. Yeah. There's like kind of force behind it. Mention there's no no vibrato. And then the vowel sound thing is like basically a question of how Southern would you like to sound? Yeah. <laughs> you know, do you want to sound like you're from California or do you want to sound like you're from Kentucky or Tennessee? Yeah. Or somewhere in the middle. Or somewhere because in the middle. Because I've, I've had both. I've had, I had what I thought was really good advice uh, while singing bluegrass, which was sing like you talk and don't try and do uh, an impression. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was really good because for a long time I was I was overdoing it and I was trying to sound like Del McCurry and I didn't grow up in the hills of Tennessee so it sounded <laughs> sounded all wrong. Uh, so like sing sing like you talk is was one and then um, like I heard Keith Urban in an interview one time you know an Australian guy and he's singing country music and I said well how do you you sound like you're American when you sing what's that all about and he said well it's not something I'm doing consciously it's that's the style. I grew up listening to country music. That's what they sounded like. And I'm just singing that style. Yeah. yeah. It's not like he's changing. So you want to, I, I think that I'm trying to kind of do a little bit of both sing true to my own voice and my own accent, which is basically non-regional yeah, diction. Sure. And then, um, and then, you know, a little bit of the style, which is, has a little bit of twang, bluegrass and country. You know, you, you want to, you want to accurately catch that style without doing an impression. That's mm-hmm. that's kind of where, where I come from on that, and that's definitely um, that to me is is more specific to a a lead singer mm-hmm. because one one thing that I kind of picked up you know from from Jonathan Clark, who's a great mimic, you know Jonathan Clark does amazing impressions of all the people that he's worked for and other celebrities and things like that, and. When he sings harmony with Dwight, he's mimicking Dwight. Yeah. So Dwight does these kind of yodels, yep. and he does regional inflections, and he does all these different things the way he sings. And he sings kind of in the back of his head. He has what you know the, the kind of high lonesome sound that's yeah. kind of in the back of his head. And Jonathan just imitates all that, so it sounds like Dwight is singing with Dwight. Right. So for for singing lead is one thing, you know. Uh, when you're singing harmony, it's different. The job is to frame this other person. So you don't necessarily want to have a lot of your own unique voice personality. I mean, in in a lot of ways, there's always a, unless it's a duet or something where there's two duets. Yeah. Voices. And there are exceptions to it. Dwight has a thing called the, he goes, I want you to be the over the shoulder guy. Which means like little Stephen Van Sant or Keith Richards, mm-hmm. where you're not really matching the guy. You're also not anywhere near as loud as the guy because you're back here. You're you're a foot or two behind yeah. him, Shout singing over his shoulder, coming. like shouting the harmony, like on the same mic. 
yeah. a la little Steven, Steven yeah, do, exactly. doing like glory days <laughs> or, or whatever. And, and that's, that's a time when you don't have to necessarily worry about imitating the boss, you know, yeah. but no, generally never... speaking, particularly with the mountain shit, it's like you, if you listen to like the Stanley brothers, yeah, they're all kind of imitating the lead singer totally. and, and they, and think... you can tell they're different people, but they sound like almost like three of the same, like doppelgangers. Yeah. I think that comes from. Literal family members sure. in those bands singing, yeah. who just that's you get that those uh, blood relative harmonies. There's just a they're just so close to each other, right? But then like yeah, when when you're there, there are um, plugins and stuff that will take a waveform and match it to the lead. You know every part of it, the volume and the inflection, and like so. In that sense, you're kind of doing that in real time with your own harmony, trying to like really, really pinpoint the lead vocal. Yeah. And that software is very impressive, but it's, it's never going to match. No. And, and even like someone like Jonathan Clark or me, who's, who's good at this shit or Emmy Lou Harris or whatever. It's like, uh, that won't ever be as good as singing with your brother or your sister. Yeah. Um, but you know, um, yeah, the, the, <laughs> That's another thing about recording with Dwight that's great is he fucking hates all that shit. He he hates <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. auto tune. Great. And he hates flying stuff. I mean, I saw him you know, you know the like you know, he, he's to suggest that you copy and paste something and fly it to the second or third time <laughs> is like not allowed. You I, know. I mean, I I love that. I mean, he he also comes from an era when it was a lot of live to two track Oh well, yeah. You know, but it's it's definitely like, I I think I he he doesn't he doesn't really get mad at me, but he he busts my balls. I I, I suggested that kind of recently on a session. I was just like, you know, I was like, we can. I'm happy to go do it again. I'll do it three more times. I'll do it six more times, ten more times. I don't care. I'm like, if and it's like you're talking about these little parts, and it's like if you want to copy it, you can. Because he's off, he's obviously like he's old school, but he's still aware of the the clock ticking mm-hmm. and like how long all this shit takes. And he, I, I remember kind of saying, you know, I'm like, I know, I'm like, I know you don't like this, but it is an option. And he just kind of looks at me and smiles and goes, Oh yeah, I'll bet you'd like that. I'll bet you, <laughs> you know, I'll bet you'd like that to co- copy and paste it and fly. you know. So he's not he's not throwing a tantrum, but like he's. He's just kind of like, you know, that's that's not very manly of you, you know, yeah. <laughs> to copy and paste yeah, that. That's and cute. Flutter. What a cute suggestion. <laughs> I, you know, I in yeah, I don't do a ton of recording, but I have uh, in, in the past, and and I, as much as I can, I try and I try and re-track every individual chorus if I can, because it it is better if you are listening to it as somebody <clears throat> who did the recording and you're super aware of every little thing that's in that mix. Not just, you're not just listening to somebody else's recording. It's something you worked on. You are going to hear that, you know, and you're, you're going to hear, it's going to sound different in a good way where like, Oh, that, that final chorus, there's something going on in that final chorus that isn't going on in the, first two or whatever yeah and and that's you're not going to get that if you're flying everything in especially the lead human element yeah um and it's it's also you know i just do whatever they whatever the session whatever the vibe of the session is yeah because sometimes so i do a lot of work for this producer jim scott right 
uh, Jim Scott did Wildflower. He was an engineer on Wildflowers, and he's done Wilco and Chili Peppers and all kinds of stuff. And he has a studio up in Valencia, and he's running a Neve console, and then he has another dude there that's running Pro Tools. There have been two or three guys doing it, and they're like these key command yeah. Pro Tools wizards. And Jim never touches the computer, does not know how to run Pro Tools, doesn't know how to do any of the edits. And usually what happens is I don't, they don't cut and paste. They'll do, I'll, I'll do harmonies, double it, sometimes triple it, build stacks of two or three or four parts or whatever. And I sing it all in real time. And then the Pro Tools guy edits it. So if certain takes are longer than others, he cleans those up. Um, and then he'll auto-tune things that are out. And the last session I did, I just sat there and watched him do it. And if the producer, Jim, wants to do it that way, if he gives him license to do that, and if the artist doesn't give a shit, then I'm okay with it. But I'm also perfectly happy to go out there and try to do a perfect one that is perfectly in tune and perfectly timed. And, you know, if time and money are no object, I'll get there. I might not get it on the first, the first take, but I'm capable of getting there. And that's, that's a credit to Dwight because mm -hmm. Dwight makes you do it that way. It takes time. You know, that's all it is. It just takes time. Yeah. And it's a, and it's a, you know, can be a mess because you, you'll cut something and then you go to double it. And then you realize that the thing you're doubling is not right. So you have to go back and fix the first one and then do the double. So there's a lot of that. It, it isn't a linear process necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, and if you have the time, it is better to do it that way, but the, the software is super impressive. And if the artist and the producer don't give a shit, then I don't give a shit. It's, it's fine. I don't get attached to what I'm recording the way I used to. Yeah. When I was about 25, the first band I was in, you know, signed a deal with like an indie label and we're making a record and I would get like the dailies. You know, I'd get a a, comp, a burn CD every day of what we did, and I would drive around listening to it. Yeah. And I would get very attached to like. That would be perfect. Well, I got, and this is why I just learned this lesson. I would get attached to like what I had done, my bass part or my piano part or my vocal. And as the record progresses, the shit changes, or it's muted, or it's played by somebody else, and it hurt my feelings. And I'm just like, and I, I learned in time that that's just no, that's not the job and that's no way to live. And so now I very much kind of leave it at the door. When I walk out of the session to my car, it's like an etch, I shake the etch a sketch. I yeah. forget everything that I did and I'm um, prepared for that thing to be released with me. Worst case scenario, like not on it. Yeah. It's not even worst case scenario is not even the right way to describe it. It's no, just it's just mean. a poss it's just a possibility. And it's not it's not personal. It's and it's I, not personal. I feel like Correct. actors this is a lesson actors learn early on because they either don't get a part and they think it's because of them, and it's like, well, no, you're just not what that part called for. Right. Or they get a part and they get cut out of a movie or something, and it's like they take it personally. Oh, I was terrible, I wasn't they didn't like me. But again, it's just an editing decision. It's that all the personal stuff is not there. And I think I've heard actors describe that exact thing pretty early on having to learn, like it's nothing that you did or didn't do. Yeah. It's just, this is what the, the decision maker was making decisions and put yeah. to, putting together this final product. So, and it could be, there's so many different things it could be. I don't know anything about, about acting, but I know that in, in the recording world, 
it could very much be a non-personal, like that wasn't the right thing. And eventually we found the right thing. And then there are also people, a lot of the time, the artist just loves the recording process so much that the artist wants to play everything. Mm-hmm. And a lot of time what you're doing is you're right. Ri- you're writing a part. Yeah. And then the artist will play that part. Yeah. But they want to play it because they, you know, I've, I've worked with people over the years where it's like, they just love that process. And when the, when the recording process is done and it's time to promote and play live and do all that shit, they're, they're like done. They don't want to do any of that shit. It's all, it's like this Jeff Lynn thing where it's like the best part is when you sit there and stack yourself with yourself, with yourself, with yourself. And that's, you know, it's fine. It isn't like it's right or wrong. It's just that that is a thing that definitely comes up. And so when they hire you to come play, you're, you're helping them to come up with ideas and parts and eventually they will play them. Uh, and so if you get attached to something that you've done or even the idea that you will be a part of it, um, you're kind of setting yourself up. Uh, I don't even know what the word I'm looking for. I mean, you're just kind of setting yourself up for kind of a disappointment. Mm-hmm. And so generally speaking, and sometimes I have to do this more if there's something where I'm in there playing and I'm like, this is fucking awesome. And I'm playing it. I'm like, I have to recalibrate my mind and be like, this could all go away. Yeah. Like as soon as I walk well, yeah. out that door, they might just go, you know what? It sounds better without that thing that that guy was doing. Sure. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's a good lesson in, in just like living in the moment and not, not getting attached to what's going to happen with, you know, or what, yeah. what, what happens. And it's a balance because you're trying to do the, give the best of yourself in that moment and, and frame the artist's song and the artist's voice as good as you possibly can. And then immediately forgetting all of it and turning it off and releasing it and letting it go. Yeah. So it's a, it's a tightrope walk between those two things, but over the years, I've gotten, I mean, dude, when I was in my mid twenties, I was like a raw nerve about this shit. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like almost, almost too far the other way. And I have to watch myself or when the artist asks me something, I have to be careful to say, I don't care. I don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because they don't, they don't really want to hear that either. No. But I have to, to protect myself, I have to have a pretty good dose of that going on where it's like, yeah, I actually really don't care. Like, this is your thing. Yeah. It's going to be whatever you want. And, you know, a lot of the reason why you're on this stuff, especially like vanity projects and stuff, is so they can use your name with Dwight Yoakam's name in parentheses right next to it. Mm -hmm. It's not really about what you played at all. So it's kind of like, that's a factor as well, not to be, not to be like, cynical cynical about it but but that is that's a factor and so i have to kind of be aware of some of that as well where sometimes there's a a little bit more of a legitimate artist that you're you're doing something different and then other times you're on a session where it's like i don't think anyone is ever going to hear this yeah this is just a thing that they're doing because they want to do it and it's again it's not bad it's just you have to kind of know you have to know kind of the, the read the room and read the situation yeah. Well, <laughs> it's just like, I mean, I don't, I don't really, you know, I don't really mind making this all kind of public, you know, I don't think it doesn't really matter to me. No. <laughs> yeah. There's not that many people listening. Right <laughs> I mean, the, the times that I've been around and it was, you know, it still happens. It happened more when I was younger 
but you'd be around the kind of older musicians or like when I, when I joined Dwight, you know, those are some of my fondest memories are after the show mm-hmm. traveling with Dwight and Mitch and, you know, Jonathan and the stories yeah. are effectively a form of payment yeah. for the, for the hardships of the job. It's one of the reasons why you do it is so you can like, be a part of this ridiculous tapestry of yeah. rock and roll. Yeah. And it's like, that's, um, you know, because if you, if you're not going to, you know, if you're not going to have these kind of vices that are so prevalent for, for touring musicians, if you're not going to engage in that kind of thing, it's a pretty hard job, uh, for like a 90 minute show Yeah, and whatever kind of money you're getting. And so I've found over the years that those moments of call them, you know, fellowship or whatever, where you can kind of learn from someone who came before you and and kind of hear some of their stories, especially the funny ones. I mean, that's, that's every bit as valuable as whatever you're being paid. Yeah. It happens. I'm sure as you, as you could probably attest, it happens in the studio quite a bit too, because there's a lot of downtime and people just kind of talk. Well, that's that I love, you know, and that's because a lot of the people that I, used to read about and read in liner, read their names in liner notes. I've got to, it sounds like you, you did too. It's like you, you get to stand there in a room with them while they eat pad thai. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yep. you know, hearing Ben Montench talk about just whatever, or Steve Ferroni, you know, I'm, I'm like Tom Petty and the heartbreakers is probably my favorite band. And I've got to do sessions with a couple of those guys. Yeah. And so what I generally do is just shut the fuck up (laughs) and which is you know you can you probably know just from the little bit you know me that i'm a talkative guy and i love to talk but like when i'm when i'm with guys like that yeah i'm almost 180 degrees different not trying to not trying to not trying to make them laugh i'm not trying to um you know throw my own resume around or what i don't do any of that shit i'm just kind of sitting there listening yeah to to Bring it back to what we were saying at the beginning. That's sort of like language of LA. I mean, maybe that's true in any city, but I only I only know LA. But I learned that at working at the recording studio is that it, you don't talk about when you're around people like that. You don't talk, and if you are going to talk, you certainly don't uh, heap praise on anybody. You don't bring up your own resume. You don't do all the things that for some people is like the instinct to do is say, Oh, I, I loved I mean, compliments are one thing, but like gushing, nobody wants, nobody wants that in that, in that moment. Yeah. There, I, there I tried is... to compliment Steve Ferroni and, and he was just like, didn't want to hear any. Yeah. And it's cause I'm sitting there and I'm just like, this guy is this amazing drummer in my favorite band. Yeah. And I just got to fucking tell him, right. you know, but you it's just like, gotta tell. that's what I'm saying. It's like, this you instinct. just gotta I just tell got, now's my chance. But, but if you've ever been in those situations, they, they don't, I had a, a teacher in school who said, a music school, who said 90% of the job, we were talking, this is like in the recording department, we we're talking about being an engineer. He's like, 90% of the job is being, is not being weird. Just don't be weird. Yeah, yeah, totally. You, you'll get hired. People, people <clears throat> want to hire people that they're going to spend 12 to 20 hour days with sometimes, or they're going to live on a bus with, or, you know, in this industry, we spend a lot of time with each other. And, all you got to do is not be awkward and not be weird. And that was the gist of what he was saying. 
And and I learned when I started working at the studio that yeah, you just sort of need to be seen and not heard. And unless you know, it's like all that all that keep your mouth shut, yeah, do totally. your work, speak when spoken to, because otherwise you're just not going to get hired again. Nobody and and I get that. I, I don't want to hire somebody who's just you know. Well, the touring for sure. Um, the the session world. I would I think it's a it's slightly different. And I, I mean the fact that I've been able to survive. Because I, I mean, I'm kind of okay now, but I used to be. I mean, I used to be a lot weirder, <laughs> just kind of out- outwardly. It wasn't yeah. like an internal dial, you know, monologue. It was like I would just say this shit, and uh, and nothing like nothing, you know, awful, but just being like you say, awkward, and just just saying something that you should just think instead, yeah. right? Um, and the fact that I was able to survive is kind of testament to that the, the, the fact that the studio world is a little more... And, and then again, some of the other people that I've done, I mean, not to like mention it, name names, but like some heavy session, you know, men and women who are very weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, they're just, they're legends. Yeah. And they're really talented. And it allows them oh, to get away with... Once you get to a certain... Don't get Once you get to a certain point. And that person's still not going to get asked to go on a tour bus to hang for 20 hours a day. Right. Uh, most likely, yeah. but they don't care because they're a studio musician. And so they can kind of show up and sprinkle their magic dust on whatever this track is and they can be as weird as they want. And yeah. it's almost kind of like, sure. it's almost like, okay. I get that. Well, are you, um, do you want to do this song again? Yeah, let's do a song. Let's, um, what time is it right now? It is one o'clock. Okay, great. That's perfect. Are you sick of uh, one more last chance? No. I really like that song.
the crazy baby It's the best that I can do Just some good old boys Making noise and rolling around on you Give me just one more last chance My boy, you say it through Give me just one more last chance My boy, you say it through to get that song man okay good <laughs> me neither well hey brian whelan thanks for having me sir thanks for being on the podcast and uh yeah i look forward to doing a whole lot more gigs this year yeah me too yeah i appreciate it that was fun